Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. service tonight and uh, maybe I'm talking to the live stream because the best part what I'm getting to tonight is the last part of this message and I want to just skip to the end right now and read it and I kind of am right here Revelations 21 then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. This is referring to the millennial reign of Jesus, the thousand-year reign of Christ. That's what it's referring to. Verse 4. And I saw uh, thrones, and they sat on them in judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, here it is, this is kind of what while I'm reading this right now. But the rest of the dead did not live again until The thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Okay? I'm going to explain that. That's kind of the subject tonight. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Okay? Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, I'm, we'll come back to that in a second. But I wanted to give you enough this, this, this uh, on the front end of this message so that you stay with me so that we can get back to that so I can explain it. So we are dealing with spiritual assassins part four as we close this message up. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us and to guide us tonight. I pray that you speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, let us not even hear what I'm saying. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying tonight through this message. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen and amen. All right. Here we go. Over the last several Wednesday nights, we have taught on this subject, spiritual assassins. And the approach that we have taken is is the question of how the Spirit works. Um, How does the spiritual warfare affect us? It's kind of the, the mode that we have been approaching this. And tonight, we end this conflict. We end it tonight. So stay to the end of this teaching to hear the conclusion. Now, the order of events of how we come to the conclusion is this right here. The current age that we live in is called the church age. It is called the age of grace. What does that mean? That means in the Old Testament, you lived under the law. When Jesus was, uh, whenever he died on the cross, he was buried and he was resurrected. That entered a new age, the New Testament, a new covenant, and it was called grace. Are you tracking with me so far? That is the age that we're living in right now. And this is the age that we're doing spiritual warfare, spiritual assassins. All that stuff we've been talking about uh, and reading about the, the God of this age. You remember those teachings, okay? All of that is happening right now in, the, in this church age. The next event to happen, 
according to our theology of eschatology, the next thing is the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 14. Now, is there debate as to when the rapture happens? There is debate. You have people who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, meaning the rapture, then the tribulation. You have other people who teach uh, mid-tribulation, meaning you, during the seven years. And you have some people who preach and teach post-tribulation uh, rapture. We Part of the Assemblies of God, we teach pre-tribulation rapture, meaning the rapture happens, and then it kicks off the seven years of tribulation, and then we get to that part that we just read. But let me, let me, keep, let me slow down. All right. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is referring to that first resurrection that we just talked about. All right, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, the rapture, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16. Verse 16. Let him fell out in the Holy Spirit up there. I know it's good singing tonight, y'all. I know, I know. Praise the Lord. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, that's that first resurrection, uh, verse 17. You go ahead, whenever I'm reading, you just keep on going. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, but that's where we get it from, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That right there is happening next. Wait till I say the next verse. So, there we go. We, I think we're training somebody new up there. Praise the Lord. It's all right. So, here it is. So, that's the next thing to happen, the rapture. So, now, once the rapture happens, then what happens? Okay? What happens then is something called the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? Hey, this is Bible study tonight. Y'all know Wednesday nights, okay? God will judge us, the believers, at the judgment seat of Christ. God will not just be judging actions. He will also be judging thoughts and the intents of man's heart. Okay? 1 Samuel 16 verse number 7. This teaches us, this verse, that man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Are you tracking with me? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 teaches us that he is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ as born-again believers, he's going to judge our heart and our, our thoughts and our intent. He looks at all of it. Are you tracking with me? And our actions, but he looks at all of it. So there is coming a day when we will stand before Jesus. And every thought will be laid bare before our creator. Is that not a humbling thought right there? Because imagine right now, if all of your thoughts were blasted on that screen in real time as stuff came through your mind. Hmm? I think we would be like dipping up out of here. Come on, somebody. I did not mean for anybody to see that in my head. Well, that's how it's going to be with God. He's going to judge every thought, every intent of your heart. There are two major judgments that is going to take place that is found in the Word of God. The first one is the judgment seat of Christ, the one that I just referred to. Now, the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and number two, the great white throne judgment, is who's going to be there. The believers are at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, People who have accepted Christ is at that one. The people who are not saved, the people who are backslidden, not living for Jesus, they're the ones that set the great white throne judgment. Are you tracking with me, okay? So the great white throne judgment 
is reserved for unsaved, backslidden, sinful, and wicked people. And between the judgment seat of Christ and between the great white throne judgment, every knee will bow before Jesus and declare him King of kings and Lord of lords. Every single human being from the time of Adam will stand before Jesus and will have to give an account of themselves. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment unto punishment or against sin, but a judgment unto rewards. Is that too deep for you? Okay. Did you hear what? See, this judgment of the seat of Christ is not unto uh, damnation or punishment, but is unto rewards. Mm. It is determining our rewards for living a faithful life while on this earth and trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So it's judging your heart. So when you begin to define what heart means in the Bible, your heart is not talking about the muscle that is beating in your chest right now. You understand? When you, when you read that heart uh, in the Bible, it's referring to your inner man or your will or your mind or your emotions. It's, it's you. Whatever you are, that's you. <laughs> okay. Romans 10, um, verse 9, speaks to this. And this is how you get saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where? Where do you got to believe? That's the part that's judged. In your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. Verse number 10. For with the heart, your heart, your heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, that is what is judged. It is from your heart that you choose your own destiny. Oh, my goodness. It is from your heart that you choose. You're literally choosing your own destiny right now based upon how you believe. My goodness. You're going to decide if you're going to go to heaven or hell based upon your confession from your heart. This goes to show you the power of this next verse in Matthew chapter 7 verse number 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, verse 22. So you can run around and have the right confession. I'm confessing, I'm confessing. But if it's not coming from your heart, it's not making any traction. Many will say, how many? Many, many, a lot, more than two. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name? They, were, they went to a Pentecostal church. Come on, somebody. Did we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, you who practice lawlessness. So you must see this. Did we not do these things in your name? Did we not say, Lord, Lord? But he says, I don't know you because their heart was not right before God. You have to see this. Now, you see, yes, yes, you need to know who Jesus is, okay? That is a true statement. But according to this verse, Jesus needs to know who you are also. <laughs> are you tracking with me? All right, this is a two-way street. There's a lot of people who claim to know Jesus, but does Jesus know who you are? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 reminds me the Lord knows who are his. You have wheat and you have tear. 
They look the same. Mm-hmm. Are you hearing me? They, say, they sound the same. They talk the same. But one is wheat and one is tear. We have to understand that we are programming our future in eternity right now, right now by how we live our life and to whom we give our heart to. Isn't that amazing? That's powerful. In other words, you must do all of your planning for eternity right now. Oh, you cannot wait until you breathe your last breath on this earth and then try to get eternity fixed. You're planning it right now. The only works that you will have in eternity is what you do for the Lord now. Right now. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse number 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. So he tells us where to put it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse is describing what you did for God today that is put as a reward in heaven when you arrive. In other words, did you lay up any treasure in heaven today? On Wednesday, did you do anything today that deposited a little treasure up in heaven? And somebody's saying, listen, Pastor, uh, today's not a good day to be talking about what we did today. You just better be glad I'm here tonight. Come on, somebody. I understand. Uh, Just track with me, okay? Listen, your time that you have given to God produces treasure in heaven is what I'm trying to say. You understand that? What you do for God produces treasure in heaven. Your talents, your resources, leading others to Jesus, discipling others. All of that stuff is depositing stuff in heaven. All of that is sending treasure into your future. Laying up treasures in heaven, not treasures on on this earth, which is a great temptation that we all have to deal with. Look at Revelation 14, verse number 13, the B clause of that verse. Notice what it says, that they will rest from their labors and their work follow them. Do you see that? That's a powerful scripture to us tonight that what you do is going to follow you into eternity. You see that? There is nothing that you're doing for Jesus on this planet that is wasted. I need somebody to say amen right there. Nothing you're doing on this planet for Jesus is ever wasted unto the Lord. Not one single thing that you do for Jesus is wasted. Don't let anyone ever talk you out of your treasure in heaven. Don't ever let somebody talk you out of it because I know people do because they've done it to me my whole life, my whole life because I'm always a little, a little overboard with how I am about stuff, okay? And they're saying, calm down, Jason. Listen, it, just because I'm a preacher, it, I, wish y'all, I wish y'all would have known me before I, I had a title. You understand? I wish you could have seen me at 19 and I'm in that little church, El Bethel, just doing whatever, just up there all the time. It's me and the preacher. We're the only ones at the prayer meeting. Come on, somebody. Talk to me in here. On a Saturday night, I'm 19, 18 years old, and it's me and the preacher at, at El Beth, the, the only ones at the, at the prayer meeting. Couldn't sit. If he had the doors open, I was there. My first job at the church was moving tables and chairs. Guess what I've been doing up here recently? Come on, somebody. All right, praise the Lord. So don't ever let somebody talk you out of it because your works follow you. They follow you. Let me show you a verse right here. Let me just teach this real quick. Malachi chapter 3 verse 13. I think this is going to be revelation for somebody. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, don't don't turn just yet. Don't turn just yet. What have we spoken against you? 
So they have been saying something against God that God heard it and said, Whoa, why are you saying this? What you're saying is harsh. Do you, do you want to know what he was saying? You want, to, you want to know? Or you want me just not read? You want to read the next verse? Okay, let's read the next verse. All right. You have said it is useless to serve God. Hmm, come on. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? And that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. Don't change it. So there were people going around telling other people, man, it is pointless to be serving God. What's the point of keeping all of his statutes and all of his ordinances? It is useless to serve God. It is pointless to go to church on Wednesday. It is pointless to go to church on Sunday and Sunday school. What's the big deal? It is pointless to be serving God. It don't take all of that. Why are you tithe into a church. All them preachers want is your money so they can buy another watch. Come on, somebody. I know how people talk. I know. Uh, verse 15. I know, what, I know what they say. So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance. Uh-huh. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. In other words, verse 16 says, every thought is written down in a book of remembrance. Everything that you say, everything that you do, your thoughts, everything about it is written down in a book of remembrance. There is a record being kept in heaven. Are y'all seeing that tonight? Philippians chapter 4, verse number 15. Again, kind of, I'm just kind of hitting that same point right there. This was some uh, giving that was taking place. Um, in, in fact, Brandy kind of hit on this a little bit. When I departed Macedonia, go to the uh, next, next slide right there. Verse number 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent uh, aid once and, and again for my uh, necessities. Verse number 17. So they were given an offering. But look what he says. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You see, people who tell you, you don't need to work for God. You don't need to serve at that church. You don't need to you know, do, what, you know, do anything for God. They are robbing you of a blessing. Those who try to talk you out of giving anything to God, whether it's to build a bridge or a tithe or an offering to missions or a BGMC, anything. If somebody is telling you, you all them people want is just your money, they're just trying to use you. What they're trying to do is talk you out of fruit that abounds into your account. Do you see that? Paul was receiving offerings for his journey, for his missions trips, and he was receiving offerings from the churches for other churches. You understand? He was giving it to other people. And Paul says, I did not do this because he necessarily desired it, but so that you would have an opportunity to lay fruit into your account in heaven, treasures in heaven. And I cannot overstate the damage that is done to you of those who lead you astray when they say, don't work for God. Don't give a tithe or an offering to God. Listen, they are robbing you. Anybody who says that, that I have begun to see a common thread 
when they try to talk me uh, back in those days, not so much now as much, but back then when they would try to you know, uh, tell me that I'm doing too much or whatever. Listen, that, a lot of times those individuals are hurt. They have been hurt somewhere because if you do it in love, if you do it in your spirit, now I mean, you got to take breaks, you got to have Sabbath, you got to take time to wash your nets, mend your nets. I'm not talking about something crazy. You understand, you got to be balanced, you got to be right, you got to be holy, you got to do it according to, to, to God. Sometimes you got to go on a hike. Come on, somebody, I'm just saying. All right. All right, okay, you got to get up on that mountaintop somewhere and you got to pray and get refreshed, okay? But listen, they've been hurt uh, maybe by a pastor, they've been hurt somewhere or abused. Come on, somebody. Like, you know, they've been abused and things like that. Um, or somebody's telling you they just hadn't read the Bible. Come on, somebody. They're uneducated or they're deceivers. I don't know. So here it is. This is why being led by the Holy Spirit into the will of God is vital. You, you, you hear me? You can do things for God, but if it is with the wrong motives, then it does not count. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. You see how that balances itself out? I ain't talking about doing stuff just for the sake of doing it. I'm talking about doing stuff for the sake of being led by the Holy Spirit. So let me get into the meat of it now. So 1,000 years separates the two judgments. The judgment seat of Christ from the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is where the rapture saints go. Uh, That's the one that's included. The great white throne is for the sinners. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 4 is what we've already read. So I'm not going to reread that. Skip uh, to verse number 6. Seven, you got four, five, six. I've already read that. Look at verse number seven now. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison. So you can kind of see what's happening. Then, verse number 10, Satan is done away with. The devil who deceived them, here it goes, here we go, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I'm just finishing the story. Verse number 11, we're going to go all the way 15. Then I saw, here it is. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them, verse number 12. And I saw the dead, look at it, look, the first one, first resurrection, the rapture, judgment seat of Christ. Second one, a thousand years later, the second resurrection, the second one is of the dead. This is all those that have died, that were sinners, standing before God. Books were open. Open. There it is. Books were open. And another book was open. Books were many books, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. Verse 13. Now, this judgment is a judgment unto uh, uh, punishment. You understand? So the, the, the judgment of Christ is rewards. This one is punishment. The sea gave up the dead. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Verse 14. I hope I'm making sense. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse number 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, this, what we just read, is hell as we understand it. This is it right here. The lake of fire is a real place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
It is a real place. I know people don't talk about hell no more, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm here to tell you that hell is a real place. If you don't have Jesus Christ living inside of your heart, forgiveness of your sins, then you're going to be standing before God on the great white throne judgment day. And you will be judged for everything that you have done. You better hear me. This is a reality. Sin will be judged. This is prophecy right here. It has not happened yet. It is coming. And he is telling us in black and white that we need to make sure that our hearts are right before God because this is coming. This is coming. This is not about torture. This is about justice. Understand me. It's not torture. It's justice. The sin in our lives will be judged. It will either be judged on the cross and putting our sins on Jesus and accepting what he did for us. Or we will suffer the consequences of our sin in the lake of fire. Judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14 verse number 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a different judgment. He's talking to the church right here. Okay, Verse number 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess uh, to God. Verse number 12. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Another scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, there it is. That's what I'm pushing right here. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Here we go. Do you remember in Luke 21 verse 3 as an example of this, uh, of this judgment right here? That when the widow might gave the two cents, Jesus looked at that and said, This woman has given everything more than anybody else in this building. She gave it all. Are, are, are you, okay. So that work right there is going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, and she's going to get a reward for what she did there. Okay, this is an example. I'm trying to show you how this is going to work out. Let me give you another one. Matthew 26, 13. So what this woman did with the alabaster box, it was so powerful that Jesus literally said that wherever you preach my name, you will have to attach what she just did to me. So when this woman stands before Jesus on the judgment seat of Christ, she will receive a reward for what she did right here. Are you tracking with me? All right, so here it is. The rewards in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ are found in the form of crowns. There's five crowns that you'll receive. All right, so here it is, Revelations 3.11. And let me just tell you, don't let anybody rob you of your crown. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast that you uh, have. Let no one take your crown from you. Revelations 22, verse 12. Well, how does that happen? Somebody talking you out of something. Are you hearing me? Or letting flesh get on inside of you and, and pulling you away. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. Are you tracking with me? Are you bored? Because I'm loving this right here, y'all. This is Bible study 101. All right, here we go. I'm going to give you the five crowns. Can I give it to you? Yeah. All right, number one. Here's the first one. This is found in 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 25. Now, there's two names for it. One name is the, called the victor's crown. The other name is called the incorruptible crown. But it's the same, it's the same concept, okay? I'll, let me read it. And everyone who competes for the prize is te- uh, temperate in all things. Now, they do it to attain a perishable crown, but we for an 
imperishable crown. All right, uh, next verse, 26 there. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Uh, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it unto su- subjection, least when I have preached to others, I myself would become disqualified. So what is this victor's crown or this incorruptible crown? This is holy living. <laughs> Ooh, holiness, come on somebody. Oh, that, I, know that's not, I know that's not real popular preaching either. But this is overcoming temptation. Mm. Jesus is going to reward you when you overcome the temptation to backslide. Are you hearing me? There's a reward in that. Okay, the example is Joseph and King David. Come on, y'all, y'all, have y'all read, you know, your Bible? Okay, all right. Two, two, two brothers right there got tempted uh, by a woman. Come on. All right. He, he did, both of them, all right. Now, Joseph, what did he do? He ran. He ran. He said, uh-uh, took off. The woman took his clothes. Come on, somebody. Like, holding on to me. He's running. Are you hearing me? All right, guess what he got? Well, guess what he's going to get? He's going to get a victor's crown. David. He looked over that balcony. He would have got a crown if he said, nope, can't look over that balcony no more. Okay, let me just keep going because y'all ain't, y'all ain't helping me at all. Maybe good one. 2 Timothy 4.8. Oh, 4, 2 Timothy 4.8. Second crown is a crown of righteousness. Here it is. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. So what does this mean? For everyone who is looking for Jesus' return, anybody who's living with an expectation is going to receive the crown of righteousness. In other words, it is somebody who lives with eternity in mind. It is someone who lives right. It is someone who, who, who understands, I can't say yes to what I used to say yes to because you know what? That is grieving the whole Spirit, let me change my lifestyle. Let me rearrange what I've been doing. And that individual who lives with an expectation that Jesus is coming, you fix and get a crown when you get to heaven. It's coming for you. Number three, crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse number nineteen. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even? You in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Okay. Verse 20. I'll explain what this is. Uh, For you are, you are our glory and joy. Uh, Next verse. Philippians uh, chapter 4. Verse number one, therefore, my beloved, longing uh, and longed for brethren, my joy, you are my joy, you are my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. In other words, this crown uh, that I'm referring to here, this crown of rejoicing, is for those who are saved, it is soul winners. Paul had reached the Philippians um, with the gospel message, and he was saying, Because you are serving God, because you have given your heart to God. Paul was going to get a crown for being a soul winner. Am I making sense right there? So if there's any soul winners in the house and you're out there sharing the gospel, you're out there sharing your story and and you're inviting people to church and you're inviting people to walk this life out with you, you will get a crown when you stand before Jesus. He's writing it down in his book. Mm. 
He's writing it down. He's like, oh, I see that. Let's put that down. Gabriel, write that down. They just shared me with this individual right here. Write it down. They're going to get a crown. I got a crown for them when I see them. Do y'all believe this stuff? You think I'm making it up? I'm in the Bible. All right. Number four, uh, the fourth crown, the crown of glory is what it's referred to, 1 Peter 5, 1. Or others re- refer to this as an elder's crown. Okay. You've got different terminology out there. All right, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow's elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Verse 2, I know there's a lot of scriptures, but this, I want you to give, get the good context right here. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly. Verse number 3. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4. And when the uh, chief shepherd appears, look, look what he says. Okay, he's talking to elders, overseers. This is the fivefold ministry. This is why it's referred to as the crown of elders. Those who are pastors in, in the ministry, fivefold ministry. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Are you hearing me? And so those that are pastoring, those that are teachers, Sunday school teachers, those that are missionaries, church leaders, what we just read right there, there's a crown of glory that's going to be given to those individuals right there. Then lastly, number five, it is referred to as the crown of life or the martyr's crown. James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Another uh, example of this is Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. It's the same crown. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now I want you to see how powerful these crowns are. These people... In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the, John the Revelator wrote a letter. They got the church together. Okay, Hey, guys, I have a letter from John. Everybody come to the church. Let me read it to you. Everybody's excited. You know, they might have played a little music. They clapped a little bit. They're all, give us the letter, man. What, what's the word? What's the word? Uh, you're about to die. And so the word of the Lord to this congregation today is be faithful. Unto death. And the motivation is, I will give you the crown of life. Now, you think how powerful these crowns are that we're talking about. And I know I just rattled them off, and, and we're like kind of listening, kind of not listening. Come on, somebody, come on, come on. Because <laughs> I know how this sounds. I know it's deep. I know it's teachy. I understand that. But think how powerful this is. John the Revelator is saying, you're about to face death, but face it victoriously, and your reward is going to be a crown of life. All right, here it is. This is why it's so important. Judgment seat of Christ. You come up, give you the crowns, give you rewards. Okay, now watch. Then the Bible says that we're going to take those crowns through a worship service, and we're going to take the crowns that we just got, Okay, and we're going to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. He's going to be on his, his throne, and we're going to take our crowns, come up there. I don't know how it's going to work with billions of people, but it's going to work out somehow. We're going to take our crowns, and we're going to lay them down at the feet of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Think about how powerful this is. 
Think if you got one of them crowns of life. You got that crown by giving up your life for it. And you're saying that I'm not even worthy to be wearing this crown that he just gave me. I'm not even worthy of it. In fact, I'm going to take this, the, this jewel, this thing that he told me to look forward to and to be faithful unto death. I'm going to take that thing that is rightfully mine. He gave it to me and I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it back to Jesus Christ. You got to wrap your mind. Man, living for Jesus is so much more than going to that church or this church or filling out this card. It's so much more than that. You are a part of something that is beyond denominations. It's beyond uh, anything that you could ever fit into this box called earth. You are a part of something, y'all, that is so beyond what we make it here on this earth. Oh, it's so much bigger. We are not in heaven because of those good works. That's why we're fixing to lay them down. There's going to be something inside of you that boils up that says, thank you for this crown, but I'm not even here because of this crown. I'm here because of what you did. We are in heaven. We are in heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because of his mercy. His, I've blown it a couple of times. Because of his grace. And because of his love. Jesus is the only one who has the power to save. And we will declare that you are holy. And you are worthy. And we will give him praise with those crowns. It's powerful. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm running out of time. 11 all the way to verse 15. Just keep up if you can. I know it's crazy up there. But the fire of God will judge us all. So when you're at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not judgment unto punishment. Okay? It's judgment unto rewards. So all of our works is going to be put into the fire. And if it comes out, then you get a reward for it. If it gets burned up, then you don't get a reward for it. Are you tracking what I'm saying? Because he's judging our motives. You might be, you might be doing something, and it may be a good something you're doing, but you're doing it from a fleshly standpoint, okay? You know, trying to get a reward, pat on the back. Well, that's your reward. You don't get one right there. It gets burned up. Revelations 5.10. We will rule and reign based on our assignment from Jesus. See, the other aspect of the judgment seat of Christ is that we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus for a thousand years. And our, our, whatever our assignment is d- during the millennial reign of Christ is based upon how well we served now. Okay? So that's how it's going to be passed out, is if, you're, if, you, if you were faithful over little. All right, now here we go. Revelations 5, verse number 2. I'm almost done. I got two main points, and then we're done. When I saw a strong angel, I'm, I'm, I'm turning the corner right here. Then I saw a strong angel. We're done with the judgment seat of Christ. Great white throne. We understand what, what's going on. Let me, let me catch you up now. Let me finish the story. Saw so a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. So if you can picture it, you have God sitting on the throne. And he holds, he holds a scroll like this. And, he, and it's up there. He holds it out. Okay? He holds it out. He's big throne. He holds it out. And then in heaven, if you read Revelations 5, all of it, he, uh, everybody's saying, who can get the scroll? Who's worthy? Who's worthy? And they, get, they start crying. Like, nobody can do it. Uh, let's, keep, let's just read it. Verse 3 right there. Um, it says, And no one in heaven 
uh, or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Verse number four. So it was a pretty big deal um, right here. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open it and read the scroll or to look at it. So they're walking around. Who's worthy? Who's worthy? And God the Father is holding out his hand. And, and in that scroll, if you've read Revelations, then you understand what that is. It's the end time events. But if you take it a little bit further, what that really is, it is the deed to earth. Okay? Because it contains the events of earth. You're tracking with me. Okay? You, if you don't know what's going to happen in earth unless you're the owner of it. Okay? I mean, this is the deed. Now watch. It is ownership to earth. It's the ownership. The book must be opened. And they're asking who's worthy to take the deed of earth out of God's hands. Well, you got Michael up there, Michael the archangel. He's pretty strong. I mean, he's over there fighting the devil and the prince of Persia. Come on, we've been talking about that. And uh, Michael couldn't do it. You got Gabriel up there. He likes to talk. He can read. Come on, somebody. He's the angel who proclaims. He could, you know, get it. Nope, he was not worthy. Paul is there. He wrote 13 epistles of the Bible. Not worthy. Peter is there. We know who Peter is. Peter, James, and John. He's up there. Not worthy. You got the apostle John who's writing it. He's over there weeping because he knows he's not worthy. You got the three Hebrew children up there, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They got, they try to get burned. They wouldn't even burn. Je, you know, Jesus walking. They're up there. They're not worthy. You got Moses, Elijah, Enoch. Enoch didn't even die. He just was walking with God when he's not worthy. Are you tracking with me? Adam and Eve, Joseph, David, all of them, they're all up there. And none of them are worthy to walk up there and take the deed, to take the scroll from God's hand. Next verse, verse number 5. And then all of a sudden you see the line of the tribe of Judah, a lamb as it had been slain. All of a sudden comes walking up. It's Jesus. He comes walking up that throne in order to take the, the deed of earth from his father, God. He walks up to the throne of God himself, takes the scroll, takes the book. And, what, and then what happens is powerful. All of heaven begins to break out in a praise and a worship service. And whenever he takes it, they all start singing, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. And it will sound, the Bible says, as many what. What does the sound of many waters sound like? It sounds like the deafening sound of a waterfall. That is the reference there. I don't know if you've ever been around a big waterfall. There's some of us in this room that went to Ecuador and we walked down. Y'all remember we, if those that went, you walked down. Some of y'all, I, I didn't think was going to make it back up. Come on, somebody, up that hill. Come on, don't. don't. <laughs> it's like down. It's like you kind of climb a rope to get back up. Anyways. When you got around that waterfall, if you tried to talk to your neighbor, it was so loud and so deafening that you almost couldn't hear me talking this close because it was so strong. The Bible is saying that when they pop off and start singing, worthy is the lamb, it's going to be so deafening. It's going to be so loud that it's gonna, you're going to feel it on the inside of you. You won't be able to think. It'll be so strong. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get this to you. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everybody is there. This is something that you don't want to miss you don't want to miss this so I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to hurry our praise team if you come on up here it'll make me preach faster here we go now as Jesus Jesus takes the scroll now watch track with me and he takes the scroll and when he takes the scroll and starts popping the seals on earth at that time the tribulation starts 
Are you tracking with me? Now watch. Why is this a big deal? Why is all this in the Bible? What is it trying to communicate to us? You got, you got the, the scroll. You have the deed of earth. You have the tribulation. Here is the, the revelation of this deed right here, okay? This is the revelation of it. Leviticus 25, verse number 8. It is something called jubilee. I don't know if you ever heard that word before, but this is where it comes from. And I'll explain why all this is, is a big deal. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of year for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. You got that? You got that? Everybody got that? Okay, great. That's like, okay. Verse 9. Then you shall cause uh, the trumpet of the, of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month of the day of atonement. And you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land. Verse 10. Here we go. I'll explain it. And you shall consecrate the, fifth, uh, the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you shall mm, return to his possessions. Each of you shall return to his family. Next slide. Jubilee. I'm going somewhere. Here we go. In other words, all prisoners, all captives were set free. All debt was forgiven. And, 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 and all property was returned to its original owner. The rightful owner. And all you had two deeds. You had two players. Okay. For 50 years. You had an original deed to that land. And the Bible says for 50 years, you can sell that land. You got the original. Then you write another deed. You got it. They sell it to them. They sell it over there. Sell it all around. 50 years, all that's erased. Rewind all the way back to the original deed owner. Are you tracking with me? You're Jubilee. So then when it comes to that year, you might have five people that walk up there claiming rights to that deed because it might have been sold the first year. So for 49 years, it's been in your family. And you say, oh, this is my land. My daddy told me it was. It was in our land for 49 years. I don't care. I have the original deed. But I have a deed too. Your deed doesn't count. My deed counts because it's the real one. It's the original one. Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying? So at Jubilee... The land came back to the original owner. How do you know who the original owner was? The deed. God has the original deed to earth before sin ever came to this place. Oh, you didn't know this, but I've been setting you up for three sermons. Jesus walks up, takes the deed to the earth, and as he begins to... Break the seals off on earth, tribulation begins to take place. As an example, break the first seal, four horsemen of the apocalypse take off. And there's others. I'm not, I, I'm not here to preach that. But then you got seal number two, something else happens. Seal number three. And you have all these things that begin to happen. Why the tribulation? Because this is Jesus' violent takeover of what rightfully belongs to him. What rightfully belongs to him. What happens is Jesus is taking it all back. You're a jubilee, baby. The rightful owner has showed up. And as he pops those seals, the spiritual assassins of the devil, 
that has been assigned to attack us, that has been to assign the little G. Y'all, I preached it for four weeks. The little G, the God of this world, mm -mm, mm -mm. he is right now. But when, he's, when Jesus, the rightful owner, takes that deed and he starts popping those seals, that little G God that's running around causing us issues and that devil and demons and everything else, they are going to be evicted because they don't have a right to be on this earth. Do you understand? So the little God, the devil may rule the air right now, uh-huh, but it's only temporary. There is a permanent deed to this place called earth, and Jesus is the rightful owner by blood. He's the rightful owner. Seven years of God's wrath, to, to, seven years of God's wrath to run this devil off of Jesus' property to evict him, to say, get out, devil, you don't belong here. And then at the end of the seven years, Jesus will sit on his throne in Jerusalem to establish his kingdom because this whole thing belongs to him. Are you hearing me? And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So tonight, you need to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the little G of this world? Or are you going to serve the rightful owner who is King Jesus in this house? Come on, stand to your feet tonight. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenter.org.